Lord, we pray that you bless now the reading of your holy word. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, for from such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Let's turn now to our text. Uh, James, we are coming to the last chapter of his letter. James chapter 5, we'll be reading verses and looking at verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, or Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fatted your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. The grass withers, the flower falls, but it's God's word abides forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are hard words to hear. Warning. They are words of love from you. Warning concerning 
the dangers of focusing so much on the blessings that you've given to us that we lose sight of the blessed one or the blesser, even you. So we thank you, Lord, that we need to hear these things. We need to be reminded. We need to be, again, our minds and our hearts be reoriented towards you, first and foremost. And so we thank you, Lord, for this strong word. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, that we would not look and say, well, I'm not that rich. No, we are greatly blessed and greatly rich in many ways. Help us, O oh Lord, to overcome the temptations that come with the blessings in order to bless you. For you have blessed us to be a blessing. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think of that text? Pretty strong words. Is it easy, like I said in the prayer, is it easy for us to say, well, I'm not rich. There are so many other people far richer than I am. He's talking to them. Is that true? Is he talking to all of us? Do you have riches that you may not even realize you have? Like time? Like breath? Like health? Like clothing? Opportunities to work? as well as financial, relational. In many, many ways, we're all rich. God has blessed us. This particular passage is uh, designed to say, okay, beware of wealth. That's the name of the title of the sermon. Beware of setting your heart upon the things that God has given you and forgetting the giver. In 1 John, we, we went through 1 John in our Wednesday Bible study a while back, and I find it interesting that when John is writing, the last thing he says at the end of the letter, he doesn't have a uh, normal uh, closing statement of blessing and all. What does he say? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, he says, Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's the end of his letter. Keep yourselves from idols. What is going on there? Where's the the blessing? (laughs) Well, it is a blessing, isn't it? Do you have idols? Do I have idols? And the answer is yes. Calvin says, our hearts are idol factories, constantly churning out new kinds of idols. We are dealing with something that is a temptation. What was the purpose of an idol? Is this an idol? Can this be an idol? Right? What, what is the purpose of this, this thing? Communication. To be able to communicate. And because it's a smartphone, or I don't know how smart it is, but because it's a smartphone, it also gives you information. Right? It allows you to do things you weren't able to do years ago. It's a tool. Can it be an idol? How much time do you spend each day with this tool? From the moment you wake up in the morning until the last thing you do at night, you're checking your email, your Instagram, your whatever. I'm not coming down on this tool, but I'm coming down on our hearts. A concern. As John said, little children, Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. 
And so I think that's, in a sense, a summary of what James is warning us. So I have in the bulletin a main point is one of the tests of our faith is our management or our stewardship of the resources bestowed upon us, given to us, placed under our care. James warns us that there will come a day when we will give an account to the Lord for how we handle these resources. We're not talking about heaven and hell per se. That comes with trusting in Christ. That comes with the, the, the uh, book of life. But if you notice in Revelation chapter 20, it says that there are other books opened at the great white throne judgment. And there's judgment there as well, the judgment seat of Christ. And so we must give an account to the Lord. Our text that we have been looking at, what James started off by saying, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, testings, if you will. Is wealth a test? Is having a danger? Yes? What's the danger of having? If you were to summarize it, it's, well, because I have, I don't need God. I don't need his intervention. I'm just fine. Just leave me alone. I'm happy. Count it all joy when God tests you. Does he have to take it all away? Does he have to take away your health? Does he have to take away your wealth, your relationships, in order to sanctify and make you more like Jesus? We're called to follow Jesus. He's working a family resemblance in us. And again, I, I prayed earlier that prayer, or I made that statement. Uh, Paul writes, though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Different perspectives on richness. And so uh, this, this particular text is very strong. We're going to look at it from three different perspectives. Number one, the condemnation of the wealthy. Secondly, what are the dangers of wealth? And then thirdly, how does this apply to me? So first, notice when James starts his statement there in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, come now. I'm switching subjects right now on you. Come now, listen to what I have to say. What, what I'm going to say is very, very important. I have been dealing with the sin of presumption concerning time. In other words, he says, don't say, we're going to go do this, we're going to do this, we're going to buy and sell and do all this. He said, he said we should always say, what? If the Lord wills, we will do this, we will do that. And so he's dealing, he's been dealing with the sin of presumption concerning time. And now he comes and he says, there's also the sin of presumption concerning wealth. What you have, not only time, but the other resources as well. Notice what he says there. Weep and howl. 
for your miseries that are coming upon you. Who's he talking to? People that have. People that are rich. The wealthy. There's a judgment coming. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. He has already said this before. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so again, is there a time for weeping? And here's the question that I was thinking about. Have you ever wept over your sin? Have you ever, has it ever hit your, broke your heart? Ever? Have you ever embraced or understood how bad your sin is? James is calling us to weep, lament, howl, mourn for our sin because it is an offense to God. Judgment is coming. This is not just James, but we find this throughout the Old Testament prophets. That's probably why they were very unpopular in Israel. And it was a hazardous duty. They didn't get hazardous duty pay, but it was a dangerous job to be a prophet in those times. Isaiah, for example, we read from Isaiah chapter 13, as he's bringing a judgment upon Babylon, who is about to take Israel or Judah into captivity. He writes uh, chapter 13, verse 6, Wail! For the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. And they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. And he goes on. But notice his first word is, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. So James is reflecting the Old Testament prophet. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to those in the church who are relying upon their resources and even misusing them. We'll be seeing more of that. Notice what James is saying there in verses 1 through 3. For your miseries are coming upon you, your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last day. An interesting statement. The corrosion that's in your gold is going to eat your flesh. It's going to eat you up. That which you're holding close to you is going to destroy you. What he's saying. Judgment is coming. 
He's speaking in particular to the unrighteous rich. But in many ways, we fall all fall into that or can. And so it's a good thing for us to hear. Why? What's the reasons? What's he talking about? Why is he so negative? Well, number one, he's addressing the mismanagement of resources. Just like he did earlier with time, now he's, he's concerning wealth, another resource that God has placed into our hands. Can it be mismanaged? Can you mismanage your relationship with one another? Yes. Can you mismanage your time? Yes. Can you mismanage everything that you have? Yes. Wasting. Uh, I, I have written down, I'm not going to go into details, Jesus taught, tells a parable about a, very, a king, and he gives various servants uh, resources to manage, and one man has ten, one has five, and one has one. You're, you're familiar with that parable, right? And the ten go out, and uh, the one with the ten goes out, and he works hard, and he produces ten more, and the five, one with five does five more. And the one with one, what does he do? He takes it, and he buries it in the ground. And when the king comes, and he renders account, wants account for his resources, and that one comes, and he hands him the talent, the resource, the one, with no interest, with nothing in and he accuses the owner of being a harsh man. He misuses his authority. He buries his talent. Are we guilty of the same? Secondly, uh, James is also concerned about dishonesty and mm -hmm. oppression. Look at verse 4. Indeed, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the armies, or the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of Sabaoth. In other words, the concern is for the poor. These were those who worked for the rich, and they took advantage of these poor. There's a lack of love for one's neighbor. There's a manipulation of what, what I have written down as legal theft. Is it possible to legally steal from somebody else? Can you do that? Can you do something that harms the other person but is legally allowed? The answer is yes. Somehow, these wealthy here are defrauding their employees. But notice what he says. The wages cry out, and those cries come to the Lord of the armies, the Lord of hosts. He hears. In other words, to summarize, they're gaining at the expense of others. Can, can we slip into that? Can we manipulate a neighbor, a friend, a brother, a sister by misusing? What is legal for personal gain? I think the danger is there. At least James thinks it is because he brings it up while we're looking at it. So let's go to the second point. So what are the dangers of wealth? We have in particular these per people, and it would be easy to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. 
Is wealth dangerous? And the answer, it is, if misused. Is a gun dangerous? Is it a dangerous weapon? But does a gun fire itself? Does a gun kill people? And the answer is no. Who kills people? People. Using guns. Kill people. Right? But a gun is a dangerous weapon. Is a knife a dangerous weapon? I just read uh, this morning in my phone about there was an attack. I can't remember where it was, where there was shooting, there was knives, and there were people using cars to harm one another at this event. So are we going to ban cars now, and all knives are going to be confiscated? And anyways, enough of that. What are the dangers of wealth? Number one, reliance upon the world rather than God. Is that the greatest danger? I think it is. Scripture talks about trusting in uncertain riches. Are you trusting in your 401k? I remember back in 2008, we referred to it as a 201k. It went from being a 401k to a 201k. Riches are uncertain. Are you relying on them? Or how about this? Do you worship what the world worships? Do you serve your riches? Do you serve that which enables you to have pleasure? Is it your focus? How much time do you spend focusing on your wealth? As the world does. Find pleasure in that. I'm rich. But here's another one that struck me. Complacency. That's a danger of wealth. Complacency. What is that? I don't need God. Is that a danger in our society today? I don't need anything. I don't need you. I don't need God. I'm fine. Is that a danger? Is that a danger today? Yes. Everything is fine. Just leave it alone. Don't mess with it. Don't change it. Just leave it the way it is. Complacency. I don't need God. I don't need God's grace. I am rich. Well, here's the one that I think we all deal with, pride. Look at me. Look what I have. I have a need of nothing. I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. And how about this one? Desire for more. J.D. Rockefeller, at the time, was the richest man in the world. This was a hundred and some years ago. And he was asked by a reporter one time, what would make you happy? What are you striving for? What is it that you desire more than anything else? And his response was classic. Anybody know what his response was? One more dollar. One more dollar. One more dollar. Desire for more. Oppression, manipulation of the poor is here in the text. It's a lack of love for others. So if you want to summarize the dangers of wealth, it's a lack of love for God, and it's a lack of love for others. It's a love of self is the danger. Having the resources is a danger for us. And that's why uh, we we read earlier 1 Timothy 6. What does he say? 
let those that are wealthy be rich in good works, be rich in giving to others of their time. It's one thing to write a check. It's another thing to give time, right? Everybody only has so much time. The richest man in the world, the poorest man in the world, both have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, while God allows them. So Paul says to those who are rich financially, give up your time. So how does this apply to me? Well, the, the context is material wealth. Are we, as Americans, are we rich? Are you rich compared to the rest of the world? Is that why so many people are flooding across the border? Because they look and they see and they think, oh, if I'm in America, I can become rich compared to the people that I'm living with now. Many years ago, I went, and I think I've shared this with you, I went to Africa uh, back in 1999, and I was teaching there. And I was standing one day looking at these banana roof leaf huts, mud huts with banana leaf roofs. You've probably seen those in Uganda as well. And I'm looking at the lush greenery is up in the mountains over Lake Victoria, if you know where that's at. And as I'm looking at this situation where people are living in dirt houses, all of a sudden it hit me. Most of the world's population lives like this. Mud roof, mud walls, banana leaf roof, no electricity. The women had to go hike down the mountain a mile or two to get water put it on their head and hike a mile or two back up to bring water. No water, no electricity. They had cell phones, which I don't understand that at all. Uh, well, because you could power them from a battery, I guess, whatever. But the point was, as I looked at all of this, I said, this is the way most of the world lives. We live in Disneyland. We live better than most of the greatest kings that ever existed on the face of the earth. We live, the average American lives as much or better than they do. We are blessed. Can that be a danger? Can that be a danger to be discontent with the blessings that God and the answers? That's what James is talking to. But what about spiritual wealth? We have the riches of the truth. And yet my fear is familiarity breeds contempt. Oh, it's not that important. I've read the Bible. So much is available, so little applied. What does Scripture say? Too much is given, much is required. What about, here's a strange one, what about this building? Is that a gift from God? Is it? It's a resource. It's a tool. How are we using it? James is concerned with complacency. Therefore, he says, just before this passage, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay, pastor, thanks for beating us up. Is there any hope? Is there? Yes. My note here says, judgment is coming, flee to Christ. As Savior, 
Acknowledge your poverty. Apart from him, you have nothing. Flee to Christ as your Savior. Turn from your idolatry, as John said. Flee idols. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest in him. I'll close with the way that Micah says it. I'm going to read the whole passage because it's a good one. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I think, didn't we have a Heidelberg catechism, a Heidelberg uh, camp? One of, the, one of the years was based upon this particular passage. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man... What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? He's shown you good. He calls you to do something with the riches that he's given you, the riches in Christ that he's given you. Three things. What does he say? To do justly. To do justice, James goes after misusing even legally, to harm others, to do what is just, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Does James say that in his letter? The answer is yes. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and we do thank you, Lord, that you don't save us by our abilities. You don't save us because of our choosing, but you save us because you love us. Your love from eternity, your love in Christ 2,000 years ago, your love, O, uh, o Holy Spirit, in applying what Jesus has done for us, doing that work in our hearts, changing our hearts, taking away the stone and putting a heart of flesh, and your ongoing work of sanctification, making us more and more into the image that you have intended for us. And we thank you, Lord, for revealing again another area of uh, proper understanding how the things that you bless us with can be a snare and a trial and a testing. Help us, O oh Lord, to be aware of these things, that they would not cause us to fall, to stumble and fall, but we would have a right estimate of our capabilities and also have our eyes fixed upon Jesus, walking with you. That's what this is all about. And so we pray that you do that work in our lives and our hearts, that we would not trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God who lives and abides forever. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would grant unto us true repentance of our sins and true faith in Christ, trusting and resting in you as our chief shepherd who guides us, who feeds us, who waters us, who, who protects us. That we are but sheep, but we have the great shepherd. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.